So if you've got your programs, um, if you'll turn those inside out, you'll see the outline that's there. We're going to continue our series called uh, Unmasking Relationships, Timeless Relationship Truths in the New Normal. And you'll notice that this is one of those Part A, Part B messages. So I want to put all of the OCD people at rest a little bit to let you know that we're only going to get to half of the message. Um, next week we're going to we're going to look at five things today and then six things next week. But we might get to point number one uh, for next week down at the end if we have enough time. They did. They did listen fast in the first service, uh, so it's up to you if we uh, if we get that in there. So I just want to let you know, those of you who, yeah, the uh, the OCD people were just sweating at that. I'm not going to get that blank filled in, Pastor Jerry. I just can't handle it if there's a blank. So don't worry. Come see me afterwards. If we don't have time for it, I'll, I'll let you fill that in as well. So if you grab a, a pen, we've been talking about how over the last 10 months, well, 11 months, now it's 12 months They have been some of the most stressful times of any of our lives. One of the most stressful things that our marriages, our relationships with our kids or our parents have ever been through. Many of you right now are seeing your parents for the first time in a year. Had a family here today introduce me to her parents that I haven't seen my mom and my dad in a year. And we just thought they, they, they wanted to come to church with me. I thought that was awesome. And how one of the places we're seeing kind of the devastating effects of the pandemic is in our interpersonal relationships. So this series is a series on relational health. We've been looking at how do we make our relationships better? How do we improve our relationships with those that live in our house, those who are in our church family, those people that we work with, and our extended families all around? So today and next week, I want to talk about the subject of approval addiction. It's the addiction of approval of other people, the approval of others. And it's one of the most common things that can destroy happiness and joy in our lives. Many people learn growing up that the way to get approval or even love of our parents or others is by performance. I mean, if you get good grades, if you achieve the awards, if you excel in sports, that can all lead to us earning extra love, extra affection, extra approval and admiration. And this can be ingrained in us at a young, young age and be very difficult for us to escape later in life. And here's the thing, if we don't deal with this in our lives, if we don't get the right balance in our lives, we can end up being miserable for decades and decades of our life because we'll be controlled by other people. People will be able to put us in their expectation boxes and we will do everything we can to earn their approval and their love and their acceptance. And we end up, Some of us end up living the life that daddy wanted us to live. Or we live the life that mama wanted us to live. Or maybe we even live the lives that our kids or our spouse, our husband and wife want us to live. Or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever. And if if you don't deal with this in your life, if you don't get some balance in this area, 
it's almost impossible to live the life that God has planned for you. And that's what we talk about all the time here. You'll end up living for everyone else's plans, and you'll miss God's plan for your life. You'll miss the purpose that God gave you for life. And you'll miss so many other things if you don't learn how to not be a people pleaser. So this week we're going to look at fearing the disapproval of other people or fearing the rejection of other people, fearing too much what other people in our lives think about us. And when we do that, when we live this life of fearing what everybody thinks, we end up opening the door for the difficult people in life to walk in. And we end up leaving the door open for all kinds of domineering, controlling, and manipulative people. And when they come into our lives, guess what they do? They dominate, they control, and they manipulate because that's what they do. And they can cause us to say yes when we really know that we should say no. Or they can cause us to say no when we really know the right thing to do is to say yes. And we miss all kinds of blessings in our lives because of it. The verse I want to start with for you today is Proverbs 29:25 on the side screen. It's also in your notes. It says it's it's a dangerous trap. Circle the words dangerous trap. It's a dangerous trap to be concerned with what others think of you. But if you trust the Lord, you are safe. That phrase dangerous trap In the King James, it calls it a snare. In the message paraphrase, it calls it disabling. So today and next week, I want us to look at this concept of escaping the people-pleasing trap. And we're going to do really just two things. We're going to look at how it traps us or really why. Why it's a trap to try to please everyone. And then next week, we're going to look at How do I escape or how do I avoid this trap in my life now and in the future? And like I said, if we have time, we're going to get to that number one. That's at the bottom of your outline there. But before I before we look at this, I want to I want to explain and be clear that the desire for the approval of others is not all bad. It's not a bad thing. There is a legitimate need in our lives that God has placed there. We do need the approval of other people. We just don't need it to dominate our lives. We don't need to live for their approval. There's nothing wrong with wanting to please your parents. There's nothing wrong with wanting to please your husband or your wife. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved and be liked and be approved by friends, family, neighbors, just about anybody. Nothing wrong with that. And actually... It's a God-given need to have the approval of other people in our lives. In fact, the Bible actually commands us to try to please other people in many ways. In other words, what the Bible says is, look, you can't just live your life just for yourself. If you're going to live a life of selfishness and isolation and you're not, you're not trying to please anybody, it's all about me, me, me. You're self-serving and self-centered. You're selfish. You got a problem. The Bible says there's a real problem in your life. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to have the approval of other people as long as that's in the right balance. 
But like all of God's good gifts that he gives us, we tend to misuse them. We tend to have too much of a good thing, and it can wreck our lives. You have a need for food in your life. You can't hardly go 40 days without it. Some of us, 40 days? I can't go 40, 40 hours, right? But can food be misused in our life? Absolutely. Would everybody agree with that? You have a need for work in your life. God's created us to work, but can you misuse, overuse work in your life? Absolutely. Everything, you have a need for approval, and you can misuse that as well. Everything that God has given us as a good gift can actually be misused if we don't handle it correctly, in balance, the way that he lays it out. So let's begin by looking at the five the five reasons why trying to please people is a trap. And if you've got your pen, I want you to jot these down. Why? Why trying to please everyone in my life is going to be a trap. And, you know, maybe you've struggled with this your whole life. Maybe you've worried. It was imprinted on you early, and now you worry about what everybody thinks. And you worry too much about the approval of others. How do I get out of that trap? Why is, why is it a trap? Number one, the first reason why pleasing everyone is a trap is it causes me to miss God's purpose for me. Will you feel that in? It causes me to miss God's purpose for me and for my life. We can't be worried about being what everybody else wants us to be and be worried about being what God wants us to be at the same time. If you're always worried, if you're always trying to be what your parents wanted you to be, what your husband or your wife wanted you to be, what your friends or your boyfriend or your girlfriend wants you to be, whoever, if you're always trying to meet all of their expectations, you're always trying to fulfill their purpose for your life, then you will miss God's purpose for your life. In fact, this is so important because there's two primary areas where we miss God's purpose every time. And it's in the area of, one area is envy. Anytime we envy someone else and we aspire to be them, to talk like them, to dress like them, to act like them, to have what they have. Anytime we envy someone else, it causes us, we're going to be somebody else. God doesn't want you to be anybody else. He doesn't want you to be Jerry. One Jerry's enough. My wife would agree. Okay? So he wants you to be you. And he wants me. He doesn't want me to be you. He wants me to be who he's made me to be. Anytime we envy someone, we miss out on what God wants me to do with my life. Um, And the other one is peer pressure. We'll talk about that in just a second. Anytime when I'm pressured by other people to do what they want me to do. You know, Campus Crusade for Christ has a great track, a gospel track. Um, that they came up with probably 50 years ago called the Four Spiritual Laws. It's very famous, popular. You might have seen the Four Spiritual Laws track. And law number one is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. We talk about that all the time here. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. But in reality, what I've discovered in most people's lives is it's more like God loves you and everybody else has a plan for your life. Doesn't it seem like every... In fact, some people, they even tell you what God's plan for your life is. They can tell you, well, God wants you to do this and this and that. If you listen to those plans, other people's plans for your life, you'll miss God's plan. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, this is a great verse. This is one that we should should maybe even memorize. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, Our purpose is to please God 
not people. That's your purpose in life. God didn't put you on this earth to please other people. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He is the one who examines the motives of the heart. And as we often see, many of our issues are heart issues. So if I don't deal with this issue of the heart, if I don't get some balance in not trying to get the approval or trying to please others, then I'm going to miss God's purpose for my life. The second thing I want you to jot down, or the second reason why trying to please everyone is a trap, is it keeps me from growing in my faith. It keeps me from growing in my faith. When we try to please everyone, it stunts our ability to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It keeps us from loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to think about this for a minute. When God is big in our lives, what do I mean by that? If you think back over the last three decades of your life, aren't there times where God was, man, God was big in my life when I was in when I was in college or when I was in the youth group in high school, or God was big in my life during this situation that we went through. And then there's times where God isn't as big as he is at other times. When God is big in our life, people have less power in our lives during those times. People have less influence during those times. People are a little bit diminished in our lives when God is big in our lives. But you can also flip that around. When we allow people to be big, when we allow people, to their influence to grow in our lives, often God diminishes in our life. And we end up giving people what really only belongs to God. We give people authority that really we should only give to God. We give people influence that really we should only give to God. We give people even time time that we take away from our time with God. God and people cannot be equally big in our lives. We have to choose. And it's not a one-time choice. We have to choose in our life, who are we going to give more to, God or people? Who are we going to give more influence in our life, give more influence to God or give more influence to people? Who are we going, whose approval am I going to seek more? God's approval or man's approval? So a couple of questions that we might want to ask ourselves is whose opinion matters to me more? My friends or God? Whose opinion matters to me more? Or who am I going to trust or believe more? Am I going to believe my friends or am I going to believe? Have you noticed, by the way, that all of us, have you noticed you have, you have experts on your friend list on Facebook? Are your friends just experts at everything like my friends are? I mean, they're experts from science to politics to sports to, you know, whatever will cure whatever ailment you have. Yeah. Your friends on Facebook, they're experts at everything. You know, I have a doctorate in Facebook. And I've got to decide at some point, am I going to believe all my friends and all the expert opinion? Or am I going to believe God's word? Because, have you noticed, they very seldom agree. Am I going to give influence to my, my friends, or am I going to give influence of my life to God? So that's a couple of questions. Whose opinion matters to me more, friends or God? Who am I going to trust or believe more, friends or God? John chapter 5, verse 44 says, 
You try to get praise from each other, but you do not try to get the praise that comes from the only God. So how can you believe? And it makes it very clear that we are disabling our faith. The people-pleasing mentality that all of us probably have a little bit, it hinders our ability to grow close to Jesus and to love God with all our own, our heart, soul, and mind. Proverbs 29.25 in the message paraphrase says, The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. What does it disable? Primarily the fear of human opinion disables our ability to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Third problem, why pleasing people is such a trap. It leads me to sin. It leads me to sin. And specifically, the way it does this, I want you to write down underneath it, is it causes me to give in to peer pressure. By giving in to peer pressure leads me to sin. When we try to please everyone, I inevitably give in to peer pressure. Ask any youth pastor. Anytime you're talking with teenagers, anytime they're interviewing teenagers, talking to them about their biggest struggle, it doesn't matter if these are Christian teenagers who go to church or non-Christian teenagers who've never been to church. Anytime, it doesn't matter what region, north, south, east, and west in our country, anytime teenagers are asked the question, what is your biggest struggle, over and over and over, overwhelmingly, the number one answer is peer pressure. Over and over again. My number one struggle is peer pressure. Do you remember middle school? We all had to have the same haircut. We all had to wear the same clothes. If you didn't have those kind of clothes or those kind of sneakers and you were on the outs and you weren't on the cool the cool side, that's what middle school, that's what being a teenager is all about. Here's my hunch. For those of us who are a little bit older or maybe even like me a lot older, we might still have the same struggle. It looks a little bit different for us. But it's the same struggle, the desire to please, the desire to fit in, the desire to not stick out like a sore thumb, but I want to blend into the crowd. I want to look like someone else. I want to have what everyone else has. When we have that desire to please, we end up doing things that we know that we shouldn't do. Remember when you were a teenager, a large percentage of the stuff that we did that was wrong A large percentage of the stuff that we did that we knew we shouldn't do was a a result, a direct result, of giving into the the pressure of other people, giving into peer pressure. Moms and dads would ask the question that parents have been asking probably for thousands of years. Anytime that you're caught giving into peer pressure, what do we say? We would say, Mom, Dad, everybody's doing it. Anybody ever said those words? And as soon as you didn't even finish that sentence, because as soon as you start saying everybody's doing it, your mom would say, well, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off the bridge? Anybody's parents ever say that? None of y'all? Okay, some of you. How many of you are smart Alex like me? You know, if, you're, if, your friend, if your friends jumped off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge? How many of you are like me? Well, it depends. How high is the bridge? Is there water under the bridge? How deep is that water? And then you'd be, you know, what? You asked, right? 30 years of ministry, I haven't come close to making up for my middle school mouth yet. 
it must be in some ancient parent 101 book, right? If you really want to twerk off your kids, you bug your teenager, ask them this question, the bridge question. All of our parents, and all of our eyes rolled when they asked us, what a dumb question, or is it? Is it really a dumb question after all? Because God seems to be of the opinion that we have a strong propensity in our lives to do what everybody else is doing, including jumping off the bridge. Exodus chapter 23. Now, this is all the way back, right? All the way back to Exodus. Genesis, Exodus 23 says, Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. This isn't new. See, when we look at Scripture, time and time again, Old Testament and New Testament... We see people who, in their own way, they jumped off the bridge because of some peer pressure that was involved. There's many examples. just want to give you a couple, a few examples. Think of Peter. The Apostle Peter, he walked with Jesus for over three, for over three years. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. Okay, Peter, who saw Jesus do miracles, he saw him, good grief, he saw him call Lazarus from the tomb. Peter saw Jesus walk on water, and Peter even, he walked on water with Jesus. Peter, of all people, the night that Jesus is arrested, suddenly he's faced with a choice. He's at a crossroads. He is suddenly forced to admit that he, he either has to admit that he knows Jesus and he's going to upset all of the accusers, all of the people who've arrested him, or he can be a crowd pleaser. And he said, well, I don't even know the guy. And you know the story, Peter Denied knowing Jesus. He gave in to the peer. He jumped off the bridge. Same story as Pilate. Same night. Pilate didn't walk with Jesus. He didn't spend time seeing miracles with him. But Pilate, the Bible tells us, knew. Jesus is brought before him. Pilate knew that Jesus was an innocent man. He even said the words, I find no fault in this man. His wife even said, hey, I've had a dream. You need to not hurt this guy. Doesn't listen to his wife. What does he do? The crowd becomes so insistent. Pilate gives in, even though he knows it's wrong, even though he says it's wrong, even though he says, my wife is telling me not to do this. He gives in to the peer pressure. He couldn't resist because of the crowd was cheering him on to jump off that bridge. Joseph, you remember the story all the way back in the Old Testament, Joseph? Many colors. We talked about him this past summer. He had ten brothers who wanted to sell him into slavery. Ten. Ten brothers conspired to sell their brother that they were jealous of into slavery. But one of the ten, he, he had a little bit of a heart. He had a little bit of a conscience. Reuben, who was the oldest, he, he says, you know, we need to rethink this, guys. You know, do, do, we have to sell him? do we have to kill him? Do we have to sell him into slavery? He speaks up a little bit. But the other nine, that pressure, Reuben decides, you know, rather than displease my siblings, I'm going to do what I know is the wrong thing to do because I don't, I don't want to be on the outs with these guys. Jumps off the bridge. You think about the 12 Israelite spies that go into the promised land. They come back and they give a report. Two of them, they say this land is flowing with milk and honey, and God has given it to us. He's promised us this land. Ten of them come back, and they convince millions of people, and an entire nation, they convince we can't go in there. Even though God says, go take it. Even though God says, I'm giving it to you. Ten people, they convince the entire nation to turn around 
and walk away. And they say, you know, we'd rather just believe these ten guys than to do what we should do and trust God. Was God very big that day? He wasn't as big as those ten, those ten spies. Same thing with King Saul, the first king of Israel. When he's appointed king, Samuel the prophet gives him some specific questions. He says, look, you're going to go into this land and you're going to clean house. You're going to clear out all of the people who are worshiping false gods, all of the idolaters. And he doesn't do that. He gets talked out of that. You know, his cabinet says, ah, maybe, you know, we don't, have to, we don't have to go that far. Later in 1 Samuel 15, this is a message paraphrase. It says, Saul confessed to Samuel, I've sinned. I've trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. And here's his reason. I cared more about pleasing people, so I let them tell me what to do. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's thousands of years old, and it's, it's as, as recent as probably this past week in our lives. Proverbs 1.10 says, Dear friend, if bad companions tempt you, don't go along with them. And when I read these verses, when I look at all these life stories, and there's so many more, it causes me to ask a couple of questions that I think that we should ask. The questions like, in what area of my life am I caving into the expectations of other people? You should look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself. Maybe ask God to reveal it. God, show me what areas of my life am I caving into the expectations of other people? And in what areas am I doing the wrong thing in order to win the approval of others? Or I'm not doing the right thing in order to win the approval of others? Ask ourselves these questions. What area, what areas, God, am I giving in to the expectations? And what, what area in my life am I not doing the right thing? Or I am doing the wrong thing because of other people? All right, there's a fourth reason why trying to please everyone is such a trap. Will you fill this in, number four? It causes hypocrisy in our lives. It causes hypocrisy in our lives. And when hypocrisy invades our lives, we start wearing masks. That's why we're doing this series, Unmasking Our Relationships. We've got to take our relational masks off, and we've got to learn to be who we really are, who God has really made us to be. We have to unmask, unmask our relationships. Hypocrisy causes us to put on masks. We become chameleons. We blend in. We adapt to our environment. We, we survey the room and say, well, what's expected of me by all of these people? What is my opinion or my language, my words supposed to be based on their expectations? Listen, few things are as exhausting as trying to figure out what masks socially to wear in each individual setting with all of these people in our lives. It's entirely exhausting. God doesn't want us to spend our energies there, trying to please everyone by wearing a different mask, trying to be what everybody wants us to be for them. There's far more that God wants for our lives, and we can't do what God wants us to do with our lives if we're wearing masks and we're trying to please the crowds. So he wants us to reveal our true selves. We love making ourselves look better 
than we really are. That not that what social media is kind of all about or turned into? You know, we it's our highlight reel, right? Um, Jesus knew we had the tendency to do this. He, he knew the tendency of the human heart. So he spoke directly to it in, in Luke, in Luke 16. He says, you make yourselves look good in other people's eyes. But God knows your heart. Now, there's nothing wrong with putting a picture of your vacation on Facebook. But some of us, we're tempted to spend more time posing for 99 more pictures, 99 more angles. And we never look at the angle of our heart. And God says, look, I don't care what filter you have or what angle you have. I don't care what kind of super software or Photoshop you use. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at your heart. And God wants us to be congruent inside and outside. He wants our inside to match our outside, our outside to match our inside. He wants us to have integrity. Integrity means that I have integration, that he is integrated into all of our, our areas of our life, that we're not wearing masks. The fear of disapproval can cause us to compromise things that are so important, things like the truth. This is why we say things that are socially acceptable rather than say the truth sometimes. This is why we say things that are politically correct rather than say the truth sometimes. And, and it's been a pressure from all along, but it's continued to be a pressure. And, of course, every time you, you look at a screen, every time you're on a device, it's right there in your face. Integrity is more important than popularity. For me this week, that's when I want my, my prayer to be to God. God, help me to make my integrity more important than my popularity. 2 Corinthians 10.18 says, You brag about yourself, but the only approval that counts is the Lord's approval. That's how we become congruent. We say, you know, it's only him that matters. God, it's only you that matters to me. It's what you think. That's how we stop wearing masks. That's how we stop trying to please everybody. Well, there's a fifth one, a last one. I think we'll have time for the last point as well. When I try to please everybody in my life, it silences my witness. Will you write that down? It silences my witness. It silences my ability to share the simple truths about Jesus and who he is and what he's done to change my life. When we're pleasing everybody, we don't do this. One of the stories that illustrates this best is one of my favorite stories from the New Testament. is from John chapter 9. I read it several times this week. I, I want to teach on this again. I've taught on it before. Um, I can't do that today. I'll just tell you the highlights. Uh, but you should go read John chapter 9. It's an awesome story. In this story, Jesus rolls up on the scene, and he heals this guy who's been blind since birth. And he does it in an interesting way. He spits into the ground. Uh, he takes the, the dirt and the spit and he makes mud out of it. He spreads the mud on the guy's eyes. And then he says, hey, go wash down in that pool over there. And the guy goes and he washes the mud away from his eyes. And he can see for the very first time in his whole life. And he sees the crowd kind of, <gasps> and he sees Jesus is one of the first things that, that he sees. And, and in this incredible bam kind of a moment, you would think this would be a, a time of great praise and the whole place would be going it's so excited. But it doesn't unfold that way, unfortunately. It doesn't happen that way because here's what happened. Jesus, get this, Jesus decides to heal this guy from lifelong blindness 
on the Sabbath. Dun, 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 dun. And the tension rises up and they take this guy to the priests and the priests and the Pharisees are freaking out because they go and they interview, they interrogate really. They interrogate the guy who's had his eyes healed. They interrogate his parents. Even though he's a, an adult, they go to his parents and they're like, who, what do you think of this Jesus character? Who is this guy? And Did he really heal your son on the Sabbath? Was that really your son? Was your son even really blind? How do we know he was really blind since birth? And what, what do they do? They freak out. Instead of saying, yes, he healed my son. Yes, he must be, you know, God with skin on. Yes, we should bow down and worship him. Instead of saying all that, what the parents say is, hey, why don't you ask our son? He's old enough to answer himself. They just dodged the whole issue. And we learn from the account that's written in John that they did this because they were afraid of the religious leaders, that they would be banished from the synagogue, which really meant be banished from, from society. Their witness was silenced. And it's not just them. We see this all over the pages of the New Testament. It's not just in John chapter 9. If you go to John chapter 7, 13, it says, No one had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the leaders, the religious leaders. And this is 2,000 years ago. And this idea was that if you weren't politically correct, if you, were, if you followed this man, Jesus... It just got under people's skins. People just, you know, they canceled you right away. People were afraid. Again, we find it in John chapter 12, verse 42, 43. Many people, including leaders, believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't talk about it publicly out of fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. And this is the kicker, the last part. They loved human approval more than they loved the approval of God. Sometimes silence is golden, and we need to just zip it. But in other cases, it's just cowardly. It's just straight cowardly. And the desire to fit in keeps us quiet. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, who around me would hear about Jesus more if fear wasn't an issue? And I know for me the answer is, well, more people than hear about him now. And maybe, as we've talked about these five traps, maybe you came here thinking, man, I'm not a people pleaser. But you can kind of see some of that imprinting, some of the performance, some of the things that we do because we're worried about what others will think. They have, they have created a trap in our life. Maybe you're feeling like, yeah, that's me. You know, what do I do? What's the antidote? How do we break free from, from these traps? Because you know there are times where you've thought, this is the right thing to do, but you bit your tongue and you said, no, no, no. I'm going to do the wrong thing because I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. I'm worried about what other people... Or there's times where you thought, this is the wrong... I'm not doing this. And you thought, well, everybody else is jumping off this bridge. I guess I'm with them. And you do the wrong thing because you're worried about what other people think. So what's the antidote to the approval addiction? How do I break free? from being a people pleaser. Well, let me tell you where the antidote is found. The antidote is found right here. It's between our ears. We have to change the way we think. More, accurate, more accurately, we have to allow God to change the way we think. 
Because in this particular struggle, it's in our mind. That's where the battle is. And when we have this fear of disapproval, this fear of conflict maybe, when we have the fear of rejection, when we're overly worried about what other people think or what other people are going to say, then we allow controlling people to roll over our lives. They can sense it. We attract them into our lives. And they start manipulating and expecting and controlling and, and dominating our lives. A very famous verse is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. There are so many great verses in Romans 12. Romans 12, 1. In fact, we're actually doing a, a 12-week study on this. One of, our, one of our groups is going through a study on Romans 12, 1. On Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've heard me use this verse before. In other words, you gotta, if you're going to change the way you behave, you've got to change the way you think. You've got to allow God to transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've heard me say this verse, that Jesus, I've quoted Jesus when he says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So next week we're going to look at these six truths that will set us free, these six truths that we need in our lives because when we want to say yes and end up saying no, or we want to say no and end up saying yes, that's a problem of this antidote to approval. All right, so let me give you the first one real quick. So you fill this in and I have to go off with a blank. I know it'd drive you nuts. First thing I want you to remember about people pleasing, we've got to kind of remember these. We've got to kind of memorize these so we can battle this in our lives. Even God can't please everyone. I know that's an argument that people try to make sometimes. They're like, um, you know, uh, uh, in seminary classes, they argue, is there anything God can't do? Well, I don't know. I don't think that God can please everyone. At least I know he doesn't please everyone. Remember the Super Bowl a few weeks ago? Half the country praying for can- praying the Kansas City wins. Half the country praying for the Chiefs. Half the country praying, praying for Tampa Bay. You know, Boston can't decide who they're going to pray for. You know, Tom Brady or not against Tom Brady. God, how's God going to f- please everybody? Half of those people are not going to get their prayers answered, are they? Only a fool would try to... In fact, just today, there will be people out there praying for rain today and people out there praying for sun. People go, oh, I want to go to the beach. I don't want the rain. Let's pray, pray, pray. And guys praying, I don't want to cut the grass. Pray, pray for rain, you know. And, and even in Florida, where God can, you know, it's going to rain at my house and not be raining across the street, God doesn't answer everybody's prayers. He doesn't please everybody. Only a fool would try to do what God can't do. There's no way to please everybody. And here's the thing. Everybody in your life is never, you're never going to have the approval of everybody. They're just not going to approve you. Jesus even says it this way. He says, woe to you when, you think, when men think, when all men speak well of you. Woe to you. When all speak, all men speak well of you. What he means by this, if everybody likes you, if everybody loves you, well, you must not stand for anything. You must be a, you must be a chameleon, a cop-out, a, a wimp, wishy-washy. If you, got, if you can get everybody to like you, what you have to do to make that happen, you have to have no beliefs, no conviction. He says, woe when all men speak well of you. There's no time where everybody's going to like you. You're going to just have to accept that. I don't have to have everybody's approval or everybody to like me to be okay. 
And we'll talk about next week what are the other five things and who we really need to run this race of life for. Why don't you pray with me? As we pray, I want to invite you in your own mind where you're at. Uh, maybe this is your prayer and you want to make this your prayer. Say, dear God, you know how often I let other people's approval or disapproval control my life. Probably a lot of us can pray this. God, I've done a lot of dumb things that I really didn't want to do. And I've said yes when I really wanted to say no. And I've said no to things that you wanted me to say yes to. And Father, I'm sorry. Help me to remember these truths that I really can't please everybody. And I don't need to please everyone. Give me the courage to say no when no is the right thing. And give me the courage to say yes when yes is the right thing. And maybe you need to pray this and say yes to Jesus for the first time if you've never made him your Savior. Say yes, Jesus. Today I want to begin by saying yes to you. Please come into my life. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you you know me completely. And you love me unconditionally. Jesus, come in and save me and change me. Change my mind. Renew my mind. I don't want to be molded and squeezed into a mold by the world. I want to be exactly who I was made to be by you. So from this day forward, I want to grow in making you what matters most in my life. You're number one in my life from this day forward. No other gods, no other idols, no other people. You're number one. Be big in my life because your attitude matters the most. And give me the courage to do the right thing. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I want to thank you guys. For so thank you for today. joining us online this morning. It was such a great message that we can all apply this week. Some quick reminders before you go. Class 201 is being offered next week. So if you'd like to sign up for that, head on over to the website and click sign up. And then follow the steps to save your seat. And if you have any repair needs, just like I said before, you can leave them in the comments. Or go over to SeminoleChurch.com slash prayer and we can be praying for you there. That's it. Once again, thanks for being here. We will be back next week at 9 and 1045 in person and online. Have a great and blessed week, guys. See ya.